a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. <laughs> All right. Well, hello. Hello. Kat Dwyer, how are you doing tonight? I am doing well. Excellent. Good to see you as always. <laughs> yes. Welcome to the end quote studio. Gotta love it. Yep. We are here tonight on October 7th. Just hanging out. Henning's out for the evening. Something came up that he needed to take care of, so we're gonna we're gonna ride just the two of us. Carry on without him. Yes. But I think we'll we'll be able to handle it. <laughs> Maybe. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it is always better when Henning's here, but and Henning is going to be out for the next two weeks. Oh my gosh! So, three, three episodes. He won't be yeah, here. Yeah. So listeners, three episodes. You go without him. So just sad. So hang in there. We have to decide if Cat uh, and I are just going to go for a, a, a what is it called? A turkey? Cold turkey? No, no, no. Like a, <laughs> a well, a hat trick in hockey is getting three goals, right? Oh. But then is it in bowling? It's a turkey. I would have no idea. I'm not, a, I'm not a big sports guys. I'm not a big sport guy, guys. <laughs> so yeah, so maybe we'll rock these three alone, or we'll get someone on. I don't know. Uh, I got a couple people that want to be on, but it would involve getting a third mic because they're in mm. Bozeman. Right, right, right. So later in the future, we'll make that happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what's new since? We last recorded. Anything exciting? I had my article published. Um, my latest article got published in National Review. Holy crap. Yes, it did. Which I was excited about. Which is rad. That's yeah. like big time. That's I feel like every time that you've <laughs> announced, I've been like, that's big time. <laughs> and it's just been bigger and bigger time. Thanks. So, yeah. like, what's next? The Wall I, Street Journal? That's what I'm trying for. Yes. I pitched the piece to them and they rejected it. Which I expected, but I'm just going to keep trying. And yeah, I was stoked about National Review because that was another outlet that when I started this program, I, I wanted to get into. Yeah. Um, and uh, it took a couple tries. But... Kat and I love the National Review. Yeah. and Not like, to speak for you, but I think you do. No, I yeah, love it. Yeah, I, I am a regular reader of it. My family has been for a long time. And listeners who are familiar with National Review and aren't fans, yeah, I get it. They're conservative. Right. But they're like principal conservatives and they were also like very critical of Trump. So it's not like and they have high standards. Yeah, you like can't editori- pull that card on them. <laughs> yeah, they have high editorial standards and like it's not, you know, you might disagree with their ideas, but they're like well-reasoned and well-researched. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it's a great. It's not a rag. Great publication. So anyway, yeah. Well, that's, that was new That's with really me. stinking cool. I like it. How about you? Anything crazy? No, not really. Good, good work week. Spent two days in Laurel, uh, just hanging out with family, helping my dad. We were doing some woodworking. Yeah, I saw a beautiful deck. Was that something you did in oh, Laurel? Oh, no. That's a project I'm on right now, doing oh. a big old 2,500 square foot deck. It was quite pretty. Wrapping up soon, hopefully. Nice. We're getting towards the end. Railing's going in soon, so. Oh, nice. It's, it's, a, it's awesome. It looked beautiful it from is the picture I saw. Gorgeous. It's It's cool. What kind of wood? Tiger wood. Oh, you like Tiger Wood. Yeah. Right, right, right. There it is. Some of that nice exotic. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome with the increase in wood prices, which they're coming down now, granted. But when we finalized everything and actually bought material, mm-hmm. it was not much more expensive to go with Tiger Wood over like a cheaper, like a cedar or a, oh. or a redwood. And it's a better product all around. There's an upside. It makes you feel better about spending more money because you have to <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and you know it's a uh, it's like a the product's like an 80 year product what do you mean by that like, like the deck will last like years? like the the tiger wood sealed oh. will last like 80 years got it yeah what where is tiger like, I'll wood i'll probably be dead and the owner will be dead 
before that, that, that tiger would. Deck will look pristine. Yeah, the underneath will probably collapse before the deck. <laughs> the planks. Yeah. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so that makes me feel good. <laughs> where where does uh, tiger wood come from? I don't know. Kind I of believe it's a Brazilian hardwood. Um, tiger tree? Y- yes. Tiger wood tree. <laughs> the tiger, tiger wood tree wood. Uh, very dense, very oily. It's like a teak or a babinga or an ipe, some of these exotic hardwoods. Great for like outdoor furniture because they don't rot. Mm. They're not susceptible to bugs eating them. They've got natural insecticides in them. It's beautiful. Quick Google. Mm. Giving us some facts here. Hit us. Um, tiger wood may... Nobody seems to be certain, but mm. may be referring to Kula edulis, which is a tree species from tropical Western Africa, also found. Oh, no, that's one thing. Then there's Goncalo Alves from South America, primarily Brazil. Yeah. You suggested they're evergreen and tropical. Sweet. Cool trees. <laughs> Thanks, trees. This episode is sponsored by trees. By trees. <laughs> and by a boulevardier. Boulevardier. Thank you. <laughs> Can I spell it? Uh, B-O-U-L. V. V-D-I-E-R. Boulevard. Oh, there's an A-R in there. Whatever, guys. Boulevardier. You'll see it on the title of the show. Yeah. So, Boulevardier. Uh, I was feeling a Negroni, but... We've already featured a Negroni, and I think we've had them as a second drink like three or four times. Definitely. (laughs) And so I'm basically just cheating. This is basically a Negroni. But it's made with bourbon instead of gin. Uh, So we've got equal parts. Okay, I'm not going to lie here. Generally, it's one ounce bourbon, one ounce vermouth, and one ounce Campari. I did two. For each of us. I told you it tastes Because I knew if I made a single one, we were just going to have a second. You're right. So. You're totally right. We doubled it. Good call. So it fills the glass. It feels good. Know thyself. And again, we've mentioned this so many times. As the ice melts, it just gets better and better. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice that it hits you strong with that first sip. It's like Mm. an experience. Yeah, the first sip, you're like, this is too strong. Yeah, but it's also like, oh, all right. We're like, something's happening here. Right. And also, then as it goes on, it becomes like yeah. more palatable. Also, listeners, Campari is an acquired taste. It's a little bitter. People don't like it. Yeah. But you should learn to like it because if you're out drinking and you're on a budget, that's true. the Negroni like is great. You go to a bar, it'll probably take you, you know, an hour to sip down on like a good strong Negroni. All your friends are going to suck down three, four cocktails mm-hmm. in that time. One, you're going to feel better. Your wallet's going to be better. It's like a win. And it's a strong cocktail. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah. Now, do you think that that is a more efficient drink to order than a martini? Uh, you, pro- you probably get more volume wise with y- a Negroni. With a Negroni. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The problem is I can pound martinis, so it's like... That's true, me too. <laughs> like a so gin true. martini, They're I'm like... so good, I know. It's like a shot. It's like water. <laughs> yeah, the Boulevardier... Why can't I say that? Boulevardier. Boulevardier is Ah, uh, it must tasty. be French. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the history, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> God damn it. I owe you, I guess. Especially this one. No, I know. I owe you, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll... Yeah, we'll... uh. I'll make it up to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's, I mean, we didn't have much bookkeeping tonight, I suppose. No. So, do we just, uh, we dive back in. Let's dive back in from All right. last week. So, if I remember last week, we wrapped up talking anti-fragility. Mm-hmm. Where do we want to continue on this evening? Well, you had suggested at the close of uh, last week's episode that you wanted to kind of dive into how we can implement anti-fragility in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. So that's a thought. All right. Do you have, do you feel, I've never asked you this. Do you feel like you are implementing anti-fragility practices? I think so. In that I force myself to consume content that 
is upsetting to me. <laughs> That's my number one recommendation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. prime example, I've mentioned this on the show before. I force myself. I, I never engage. Like, I would never really comment on it online or anything like that. That's another great way to be anti-fragile is don't get caught up in anything. It helps. Yeah. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're riling your own self up. But I force myself to at least once a month binge a little of the Young Turks. Remind all of us who they are again. Uh, so the Young Turks is a progressive news media outlet. Chank, uh, Uyghur, Anna, Cass... Berilia, Cass... What is her name? Do you know? No. Oh, she's like a pretty public. She just debated Ben Shapiro. Oh. Anna Casparelia. I've been liking her tweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About that debate. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw it. It was good. And this, actually, I want to talk about her because it's a good anti-fragility topic. Did you topic. watch that debate? Uh, I have not yet. I but I'm interested either. in it because I don't, yeah. um, I'm not a huge fan of her. But I listen to her and, and try not to get worked up about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a great way to... To at least start to address it in your own life is push back on what you think by listening to content that makes you uncomfortable or that you are particularly opposed to. Totally. Um, in a in an area where you don't, ha- you know, you're not venting at people. You can't. Right. You know, I wouldn't want to like listen to the Young Turks and then call up Cat and be like, ah, start complaining and ripping on them. And no, that, that kinda, doesn't help. That right. That defeats the purpose. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just, just kind of think about it. And if I feel upset about what I'm hearing, which guys. I listen to things and I hear it and I'm like, ooh, that is upsetting just from an ideology standpoint. And, right. And if you do it in private and you can kind of take a breath and relax and think about it and be like, ah, they're just people. They got some wonky thoughts, in my opinion. Right. Let's move forward. Because sometimes they say things that I do agree with. And that's another thing that helps with it. You start consuming content from people that you do not like. Now, you can just be really stubborn, and there are people that are really stubborn, but like, there are days where I'm like, ah, darn it. That's a good point. Well, and when it's a good point, that should be a moment rather than, darn it, that's, that's, that should be like a, you should have a feeling, well, not that you should, but you could have a feeling of relief, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's more commonality there than you thought, right? Yeah. We're not as far apart as we think. I think that was my number one recommendation as well, is like reading, watching even like attending meetings and not to be like a troll but to actually listen you Mm -hmm. know like engage in those conversations i think it's beneficial in two ways one i think it can help you better shape your own beliefs and arguments in a constructive way um i think if you approach consuming opposing views in a healthy way Mm -hmm. like if you're intentionally doing that to grow then i think it can help you better form your own arguments and and ground your beliefs right um and then i think it also can foster a tolerance that's healthy and beneficial for Mm -hmm. society right that we all need more of yeah so i think that's a really good active practice i agree uh, and that's the episode. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, no but th- no, that's true. That's that's a great approach to to anti fragility. So that's what that's one thing I say is really important, and that tends to to be more the political side of it, right? Sure. Um, but everything's so political now that it's true, all encompassing, right? Just uh, anti fragility, I think, has goes deeper than that. I think it just shows up mostly with um how political we are. Yeah. In. The United States specifically. Mm-hmm. That's what generally tends to work people up. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I find helpful is comedy. Hmm. Okay. Because I think that evermore we are in a, a state where I will watch a, a comedy clip and I'll be like, man, that was messed up, but that was funny. <laughs> and then you'll like see the comments and they're like, this is supposed to be funny. Like this is just grossly inappropriate. They're like, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, okay. Like it is a joke. And comedy has always pushed the boundaries 
of, That's part of, of reality and taboo, right? Yeah. You know, it's poking at that part of you that's like oh i know i shouldn't laugh at this which is good right you you <laughs> like good comedy should push that you should feel a little uncomfortable like some comedy you know you feel a little dirty for laughing at it <laughs> but like generally a good comedian will will address that in a very nuanced way right and and they're not saying like this is good or this is right it's like oh right right this is that taboo like we think the thoughts we you yeah. know, whatever. And that's and that's a good way if you can engage with that. And It's funny you should say that because I watched um, Dave Chappelle's most recent special on Netflix called The Closer mm. that was just released. And I watched it. Watch it. I watched it after work before we recorded, which <laughs> I normally wouldn't like randomly sit down and watch a comedy special during that time. But there's backlash naturally from people who have been offended by it and they are pushing to have Netflix take it down. And I literally <laughs> was like, well, I should watch this before it's taken down. Yeah. So anyway, but I had a thought while I was watching that. And well, an earlier thought was when I was thinking about this anti-fragility question, I think that cancel culture is a symptom of fragility. Yes. And I don't mean that in the derogatory, like snowflake way. I mean, right. I mean, kind of in this concept of uh, being in a culturally in a state where we like aren't growing anymore. I think that cancel culture is a symptom of that because it's sort of born out of this intolerance, right? Mm -hmm. An intolerance of, of things that make you uncomfortable or upset, right? And as I was watching Dave Chappelle, you know, he says things that obviously, you know, like he's not a classical liberal libertarian, right? So he says things that I'm like, well, I fucking totally disagree with you. Right, you know? you're like, Dave, come on. Yeah. All right. But increasingly, what I've noticed in myself as cancel culture has become more and more prevalent and prominent and obvious, um, it's instilled a greater tolerance in me because I don't want to be in. I don't want to be intolerant. So you, when I listen to Dave Chappelle say something that maybe does trigger me, right, mm -hmm. and I think like, well, that's wrong. There's data, you know, and I right. go off in my head. I'm learning to just let those moments go, right? And I think it's kind of it's interesting how cancel culture has kind of had this like opposite effect, and I bet it probably has had that for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of yeah. that is that that instinct is. Oh wow, this person said something really, you know, offensive to me. And maybe there's a reason why it's offensive to you, right? But then the reaction is like, oh, if it's offensive to me, that means that it's definitely going to harm everyone. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, this can go back to, <laughs> again to like personal uh responsibility and stuff like <laughs> it's no self-censor yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? It's Nobody's job other than you to censor. Well, and no one else is responsible in. for your feelings. Right. Exactly. Right. Like people can do things that upset you, but they're not they are not responsible for how you feel and how you react. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's something that's been right lost. So this will tie into I think maybe towards the end we can talk about journaling as a um a good means of of regulating fragility, mm -hmm. uh, trying to better understand your emotions. I'm not a journaler. I would like to be. I've tried, but I am the kind of person that, like, in the mornings, I get up very early and I'll spend at least 30 minutes just like, well, now because my back's been hurting, I'll just roll onto the floor. And as I'm <laughs> stretching every morning and doing my PT and whatnot, yeah, I can just reflect and think. And it's not really meditation because I'm a fool and I don't know how to meditate, but conscious thought about things and sure. processing and i think that's similar to journaling journaling is probably just a more efficient way to do it instead of bouncing around my little echoey brain but <laughs> you know everyone's got their method but i want to talk about that and i've got an antidote a good story about um journaling and regulating emotions but it's something to be aware of is is through comedy being able to to push the limits of what you're comfortable with and yeah, I think that's kind of a, that's probably a, a fun way to practice it is. that, and, right? You know, the, and, and the truth is here too, like, I get it. Some comedians are pretty dirty. 
Well, then don't right? pay attention to but it. But that's what I'm saying. Exactly. But there are other comedians that aren't as raunchy that still push the limits. Like, give it another try, right? Like, Dave Chappelle's not for everyone. Right. Right? I don't even think Dave Chappelle's raunchy. I think he's just like... He's got like a handful of raunchy jokes. He just fucking like pisses people off. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, side note here. Do you have any favorite comedians? Dave Chappelle is one of my yeah, favorite yeah, comedians. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I saw him live once, which what? was pretty cool. Oh, that'd yeah. be fun. Yeah. That'd be really fun. I got an ex-boyfriend to take me to the concert. <laughs> uh, while he was an ex-boyfriend? Yeah. Oh. He, he was really disappointed <laughs> at the end of the night. Because <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to go see Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Hey, it happens. Anyways. But it was right when he, it was like he, he was fresh. It was his first tour, I'm pretty sure, after he had like disappeared and like, you know, kind of taken himself out of the spotlight for several years. And he like reemerged and started doing these specials. And um, he's fucking angry in that first one. Like it, parts <laughs> of it were funny, but I remember walking away being like, damn, he's pissed yeah, at the world. Yeah. Like, very clearly. <laughs> he's working through some stuff. Yeah. Anyway, do you have a favorite comedian? Uh, I don't know. If I, have, I have a couple favorites. I love Theo Vaughn. I don't know who that is. Hilarious. He's like okay. a southern dude. He's got a mullet. And he, oh, God. He just kind of does. He's got a podcast where he just kind of rants mm-hmm. and he tells stories. And I don't think any of them are true. Yeah. He's like, I remember as a kid and he tells this crazy story. <laughs> and they're always hilarious. Uh, Theo Vaughn's amazing. And I also love Tom Segura. Who that is either? Oh, he's a good one too. Okay, he's got a good podcast. Uh, not your your mom your mom's house. It's him and his wife. Who? What is his wife's name? Christina. She's another hilarious comedian. She she's amazing. I've never seen any of her of like uh if she has any specials or anything. But like on her podcast, she is hilarious. And so they're a fun duo and great. So the Theo Vaughn and Tom Segura are some of my favorites. If we're talking about favorite comedians, I do have to give a shout out to. Kyle Dunnigan, who admittedly I had completely forgotten about until Joe Biden got elected. And he I really only knew him from his like ridiculous side role on Reno 911. And um Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent me some of his stuff. <laughs> and he's been doing these absurd Instagram reels that are like scripted episodes. And they're so fucking funny. And uh, they're like half ass deep fakes. Yeah. So it's they're like, clear. <laughs> they're uh, oh, it's hilarious. It's him doing really, really shitty deep fake. And he's been he was kind of known. He had like a Caitlyn Jenner character for a while. He made fun of the Kardashian sisters for a long time. His Joe Biden is fantastic. And uh, anyway, he's got this funny little like skit with Joe Biden as the president. And then. Ben Shapiro is his butler and like <laughs> and then other people like Michael Jackson and Caitlyn Jenner like come in and out and he's got a whole Star Wars or no excuse me Star Trek thing happening right now which is talk about raunchy incredibly vulgar he did a whole <laughs> he did this hilarious shtick with about um uh Andrew Cuomo that was like oh I'm sure it was just kind of hard to hear at moments <laughs> but also like make you cry laughing so right. anyways I'm a huge fan of him, one, because he's funny, and two, and his impressions are really good, but two, he's making fun of the president, and I appreciate it, because nobody else will, and when, not to go off on a political rant, real yeah. quick, when Biden was elected, and what's his face, he had a late night show, I'm totally forgetting his name right now, but anyways, he came out and was like, there's nothing funny about Joe Biden, like, we're not going to be able to make fun of him, which is just idiotic. And Kyle Dunningham, like his first of these series yeah. opens with that, basically. Right. And then it just like rips it all apart. And it's so funny and refreshing. So anyways. And that's, you know, and that's another great. This is, again, a side note, but just thinking about comedy. Reality and, and, and existence in humanity is funny. If you can't laugh at it, you're yeah. going to be a miserable person. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, loosen up a little bit, laugh. Yeah. Even if you're like, ooh, cringe. Why am I laughing? Right. That's what I mean. I guess that's what I mean when I was saying like that. I feel like I've become more tolerant because of cancel culture. Like. I just think it's important, like if we're at a point in our society where we will like destroy a person's livelihood because they've said something 12 years ago Uh that is like kind of offensive. But we know we've all kind of said those same things, too. If we're at that point, then we need to like actively push back against that. And one way to do that is to is to be tolerant of ideas that you don't like, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think that's, you know, 
that's right. a healthy way to be anti-fragile. And I actually would like to have this conversation later because, you know, it's always under the guise of like, well, it's just people having to deal with the consequences of their actions. Well, okay. There's or, a, th- th- there's, uh, right. We lose nuance. There's a difference between being like a oh, hateful, evil, violent human being. Right. That's a danger to society. Yeah. And, you know, the African-American young woman who had just been what's the word i'm looking for right now she was just achieved the job role um she'd been promoted sorry she'd been promoted to um i think editor-in-chief of like teen vogue and then somebody who didn't like her went through her twitter and found from when she was like in high school or early college some tweet she made that was like offensive to the asian community but i guarantee it's something that every adolescent has said you know and right. her whole career is fucking ruined. Right. You know, and it's just like, that doesn't seem proportional. <laughs> you no, know, it and doesn't. like that woman is not a threat to her community. No. Right. She said something stupid when she was 17 or 18. She didn't call for harming anybody, you know. Yeah, she like, didn't do anything illegal. Right. You know, and yeah. it's, so it's just like, there's, we've, we've, we've lost the ability to see mm-hmm. the nuance in these things. And I think we've empowered really counterproductive unhealthy human instincts that we all have and we're like we're just stoking them and it's not good for our longevity i have a hot take on this but i'm not gonna share it right now okay (laughs) Uh, we also don't need to go down a political no 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 we shouldn't we shouldn't go i want this to be positive i want us to yeah how to we don't want that and part of getting political about everything is uh or can be a result of more of a, a fragile uh, mindset or tendency. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, what else we got here? So comedy, I think, is a great uh, venue for addressing that, consuming content you disagree with. Do you have any others that you might implement or that you think are relevant? Um, well, the sitting with your fear, like we talked about last episode, I think is a super valuable tool um, for a lot of reasons. Two things that I thought about for this episode were well, well, ultimately the principle of, of just practicing gratitude and like no matter what you experience or what life throws at you or your creator throws at you or however you want to frame it, like embracing it and being grateful for the experience, mm-hmm. which like certainly there are times when like really horrific things happen and that probably seems insane to be grateful. And I don't know if I actually could be grateful with in certain certain circumstances, but I think that's something to strive for. Um, And I think when you practice gratitude, that kind of that unlocks like peace and it unlocks the ability to to turn whatever that adversity is into something positive. I think gratitude is sort of the key. And then I think gratitude can eventually lead to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think practicing forgiveness on a regular basis is another really good way to to not be fragile because in my mind if your fragility is is an unforgiving kind of angry state mm-hmm. to be in and i think right. when you when you can forgive people you can that's it that you're like emotionally healing from whatever that pain is and it's that healing process like physically and emotionally and right. mentally where growth happens so i think that's kind of a key step If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook.com slash WhiskeyBenchPod for Android users. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. Hello, my name is Dixie Lee, and I am the host of Author's Intent. I go through books and movies and talk about the similarities and differences between them. I just finished up my beginning series where I went through the first book in the Hunger Games, Narnia, and Harry Potter series. If you're hearing this, it means you are just in time to jump into a new series called Disney Classics. We are starting with The Beauty and the Beast. Join me on Fridays to talk about the author's intent. And now, back to our conversation. You know, I was thinking about this today while we were working. 
you know, how pushing the limits of what you're capable of leads to antifragility. And we've been discussing this from like an emotional standpoint. Yeah. And I guess really, I mean, a lot of these things are processing your emotions, but we're talking about more like a visceral reaction to something that you don't agree with or interacting with a person that you're not fond of or, you know, anger towards a person for something they did or something you think that maybe they will do. Yeah. You know, projecting, which goes back to some of those um, cognitive thought processes like projecting. Right. Motive behind people and things like that, which cause fragility. But, you know, even looking at school education work, uh, there's a lot of people that under pressure can't find the motivation or get overwhelmed by the weight of certain things like learning new things or the pushback of something difficult, um, which I guess would be frustration, right? It's easy. You know, mm-hmm. frustration is difficult. Frustration is emotion for me. Like frustration is something that I don't uh, face often. But when I do, like it's not an emotion I like. Like being frustrated is probably like one of the worst for me. Hmm. I hate it. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable, right? And so it's like, ooh, I'm frustrated. Like, walk away from that forever. But from it's, the feeling or from the thing that's usually you what's causing the frustration, right? Okay. Yeah. But as I've been working more, you know, that's not an option, right? Which has been really good for me. Yeah. And so you figure out how to balance these things, right? It's like, okay, I am really frustrated at this. I don't have an option. To just walk away from it and, and quit, right? Yeah. I have an obligation. But learning how to manage that, it's like, okay, frustration can cause poor performance, right? Mm-hmm. And it compounds. So you have, to, you have to learn how to regulate that. And something that I've learned, the best thing you can do is walk away temporarily. And, uh, you know, yeah. we've had days where things are frustrating, things aren't working. And like I said, it's compounding. So if you're frustrated at writing an article or yeah. I'm frustrated at a woodworking project or, you know, fill in the blank, you're frustrated at your homework, like you can just keep grinding away at it until you, in quote, complete the task and you fail or you can take a break yeah, and go back at it. But it's the going back at it that's really important. And sometimes you yeah. have to you have to take the L, which is, again, uh, defeat is another kind of emotion that is not a good feeling. What do you mean you have to take the L? The lose for the for the day. God. So there's okay. been days where like by two o'clock, like just nothing's going right, <laughs> and it's like we gotta call it. Yeah. Like we're wasting time. We're wasting money. Mm-hmm. We are going to end up taking it out on each other. Yeah. So let's let's address the problem before it gets worse. Yeah. Step away. Maybe go have a meeting about it, talk about it, journal about it. That's a good strength when you can recognize when you need to mm, walk away. True. Right? Like, that's an acquired skill. I right. Feel like. Right. And that's where I think journaling can really help. Mm-hmm. The reflecting back on an event. For um, sure. Yeah, that can help prepare you for what to do next time. Uh, when did it all go wrong? Like, yeah. Let's go back and see. Totally. Um, I think in terms of practices, in those moments when you need to walk away, something that... um. I've found super helpful is just breathing exercises. Like literally simple, close your eyes, sit up straight, like three breath, three breaths in through your nose and, you know, or a three second count of a breath in (laughs) through your nose and then three second breath out through your mouth. Um, And, you know, do that, even just do that three times or more, but minimum like three Mm -hmm. That will actively slow your heart rate and like calm you down physically. Yes. And then mentally follows suit, right? And and so that's and then emotionally follows that, right? So like sometimes there are physical things we can do to kind of get our brain and then our emotions to do what we need them to do. Um my uh I I, I think, you know, little kids sometimes will be you know, before they learn to regulate their emotions, 
you know, when they're frustrated or they're mad, you know, they'll get vi- physically violent, right? They'll hit something or they'll hurt, the- hit themselves or they'll want to break something. And if you can find, you know, and, and some, some people as you grow older, like still do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you can get to a point where you notice that that's what you think you need to do and you find another physical way to channel that, like maybe it's breathing, maybe it's going on a run maybe it's doing downward dog like i don't know maybe Mm -hmm. it's something but i think that there can definitely be um like physical steps you can take where the emotional mental like deeper stuff will follow but sometimes these physical things even if you're like still pissed while you're doing it is a productive way to escape that fragility that makes sense right yeah exactly and Again, I'm not a particularly wound up person or angry. Yeah. Right. It's just not in my. It's not in your nature. Right. Not in my nature. (laughs) Yeah. But I know that is a problem for some people. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean anger and like a thrown fist and everything like that, but just like some bottled up anger. Yeah. The anger emotion and exercise is a great way to get rid of that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of a joke, right? Like, but go to a boxing gym, punch a. Totally. Like all these things translate into the world. So going back to like being frustrated, like if if you have this bottled up emotion, in this case frustration or anger or anxiety, and you don't get rid of it in a healthy way, journaling, exercise, punching a punching bag, you know, singing or what whatever it yeah, is, whatever right? It is. Like yeah. it's going to project out at people that you're interacting with right and that's going to escalate things to a point where like someone's fuse is going to break especially in conversation or even like mundane conversations and then that creates more tension between people well and that anger also has a physical impact over time too like it takes a toll on your body right so Yeah. yeah it's a vicious cycle all things to consider yeah for sure is there um a way we've been focusing on sort of negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you can practice anti-fragility when it comes to positive emotions? Uh, like, yeah. are honestly there... the gratitude that you were talking about? Okay, it's we're all human. It is really easy to focus on the negative, right? Right, because that's the thing right then and there. Like, you are inconvenienced by something. And granted, sometimes these things are more than just inconveniences. But I would say, on the average, in the United States, most of what is popping up is inconveniences that are causing these projections and this fragility. We're all very, very privileged in the United States. Right. Yeah. You know, and I am guilty of this. And practicing gratitude has done wonders for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, sometimes... Like you almost have like a I have to snap out of it moment because when you start focusing on the good, holy moly, like it, not to be cliche, but like it outweighs the bad so much. Yeah, for sure. Like you can't really be upset at people. You can't really be frustrated. You can't be angry when when you can sit back and focus on it. And like, you know, for me, what I'm grateful for is not what someone else is grateful for. And some of the things that you know, I'm able to have a lot of people don't, but like there's, there's a balance there, right? Like the people that you love in your life, the the views that you see, like today driving back from work, it's like, Oh wow. I get to live here. Yeah. yeah. Like looking around like, nice feeling. Oh, I was tired today. Like it was a grind. My back hurts. Like, blah, 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 blah. blah. Like Henning's got a thought on this and, and this is what I was projecting. Um, can I share this? Can I just share this now? Yeah. Henning's not here, but like, you know, yeah, yeah. it's funny because it's true. You joke about it. But like Henning was like, hey, I'm not going to be here, but I've got some thoughts you can read on the air. He's like, don't be a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just it. Like, I'm coming back from work. I'm like, why am I being a little bitch? <laughs> like, look where I get to live. I got yeah. an amazing client and building this cool deck. You get to drive back. The sun's setting. Like, OK, my back hurts. The sunset was nice tonight. Grow up. I'm going back hurts. Yeah. All right. But look at all this <laughs> other stuff. I got to share a drink with Kat and record a podcast that I love to do. And. Yeah. Um, all you guys, you get to listen to us. 
<laughs> I was thinking about real quick. I'm going to derail just slightly. I was yeah. thinking we were talking about like consuming content that you hate. Yeah. I kind of hope that there's some people that are listening and like our show is the show that's like, oh, I hate what they're saying. <laughs> but like I listen to it because it's good for me. Well, I think there are definitely. I mean, I've been <laughs> so impressed by a handful of our listeners who are also friends who. Yeah. Like actively disagree with me anyway. Mm-hmm. And probably you and I'm sure Henning at times, you know, and. I like deeply respect the fact that they not only listen to views that they don't agree with, but then they engage in like a really respectful, you know, debate in a positive way. I mean, debate, you know, so like, yeah, yeah, I think that's totally that's an example of active anti-fragility for sure. Yeah. And the thing is, too, you know, you you force yourself because it is I mean, at some point it is kind of like a a will thing, right? You have to force yourself to get over this hump sometimes. Yeah. Like, man, it can result in some really cool stuff. And now, granted, I just don't get worked about these things. And we had talked a little bit when we talked about personality, like this has something to do with it. I don't get worked up about this kind of stuff. I never have. But like one of my best friends in the world, so different than me. Yeah. Like, but I love him. I would die for him. Like, and we are so different. Like on paper. In in the climate that we have, people would probably be like, oh, these two people hate each other. And you don't. And we don't. Yeah. That's Love nice. him. That's nice. Yeah, we need more of that. And I- what's funny, too, is like, and not even, I don't mean this in like a, a, a rude way, but like, he'll say something and, you know, I joke and I'm like, oh, man, that's really dumb. Like, <laughs> I think you're being dumb. I don't say that. And I know for a fact I say something and he probably rolling his eyes like, that's sure. really dumb, Steven. You're stupid. Right, right. But like we don't mean it, you know, it's just like there's so much more interesting things that we can get on about. Well, and I think culturally, like there was a time for a long time where, you know, talking about divisive things was taboo and it was taboo for a reason because it divided people. Right. And there was at least some common goal of having you a united community and for the reasons Henning was outlining last episode of sort of how news consumption, the way it's been monetized and like what drives that bottom line and what their tactics look like, like we have been division cells. Right. And so that's become commonplace, but like, you know, we, sh- I, I think we kind of, and I'm saying this as someone who like loves to talk shop, I think yeah. we should get back to a point in our culture where, like, we don't talk about religion and politics with most people, you know? Right. Like, I think that's actually, if we could, like, diffuse that out of our public discourse and out of, like, every nook and cranny that it's infested, then I think we'd all be better off. Right. Because um, it sows, I feel like um, I had a convoluted thought that i was thinking about sharing it might be too convoluted let's let's dive into it we can edit it out if it is convoluted but no no, but but so when i was thinking about this episode i was wondering last episode we had kind of touched upon how we put maybe too much weight on our emotions right right and that has led to some of this fragility that we see because i don't i i personally don't think emotions should define you and i think we kind of get mired in that sometimes um, and right. it's unhealthy and counterproductive. And so I was wondering, like, okay, well, what led to that? And we started to touch upon it last week that, like, I think prosperity and affluence kind of afforded us the luxury of indulging our feelings more, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, I feel, I feel, yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the same time, I have observed that, <laughs> um, that pe- my best friend Alicia and I always say, we always used to say, I feel like about everything and yeah. it's a terrible habit. But anyways, I think I have observed that um, at the same time, culturally, we have indulged our emotions to a degree where, where sort of emotions rule, right? At the same time, I think we actually aren't really feeling our emotions because culturally, we... We've indulged the good feelings, right? Mm -hmm. We've figured out like how to constantly make ourselves feel good. And we're always striving for that, whether it's alcohol or weed or Netflix or 
kayaking or whatever the thing is that like mm-hmm. you do obsessively and you and and you're distracted by it all the time and it feels good we reach for those things so that we don't have to really feel and process those bad feelings right. um and and again i think like we have the luxury to do that because we don't have as much hardship and like toil as past generations or other parts of the world have to deal with right like we have we have a choice and a lot of people in the past and currently in other parts of the world don't have a choice they have to deal with the ugly yeah. dark shit right and and we in a, a prosperous 21st century america do have a choice and i think culturally we've strayed from really feeling those dark uncomfortable feelings and by never really feeling them we don't ever grow right like that's how you become right. anti-fragile that's how you grow is by sitting with and dealing with those dark feelings and we've kind of are in this vicious cycle where like we perpetually like reach for the things that make us feel good and distract us from the painful stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're not growing when we do that. No. And then we put weight on on kind of the superficial layer of what those emotions feel like. And we think right. we're dealing with them. And the reality is we're actually not. Okay. So this is a perfect segue into my little antidote about journaling. Good. But also... <laughs> Okay, this is just a thought I'm having. I do not mean this in a derogatory or insulting kind of way. But as you said, through our prosperity and things, we basically have a majority of children. Adults that are children that haven't been able to process and learn how to engage in the world And so like a child reaches for a stuffed animal or a blanket or a pacifier as some sort of safety net, right, to deal with something like, oh, I'm really upset, so I need my my thing, my my safety net, whatever that is. Right. Wow, that's interesting. And we do it unconsciously, right? right? Exactly. And that's that is the concept of sitting with your fear instead of reaching for even the healthy outlet, instead Mm -hmm. of reaching, instead of going on that run that's gonna like and yes, there are times when those healthy outlets are constructive right but sometimes just sitting and not sitting with that painful feeling can be incredibly productive and i don't mean to suggest sitting with it doesn't mean you lash out and yell at the person right Mm -hmm. if you need to walk away and like breathe and go on a walk so you don't lash out and yell at the person you do that but eventually when you have the space and time for yourself you sit with those feelings that that person made, like th- that you that wasn't, you know, triggered to use the term of the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And you sit with that and you process that because if you don't ever sit and process and feel that ugly shit, it will haunt you. Right. And, and honestly, it's we've got it so good in so many ways that we live in a society where you you can get through without ever having to really face now, we haven't really even talked about adversity as far as through just general hardship, you know, loss of, of loved ones and, and injury and disabilities and things like that. I think that's a whole other kind of topic about those kind of things make people anti-fragile in a different way. But also right. also the opposite. Those kind of things can really create a person who is, is fragile, right? And so I don't know. Well, it depends on how you handle it. Right, exactly. Right. But just it seems like we're talking about mostly engaging with people and ideas yeah um we have it so good that you really can curate your life in such a way where you don't have to face any of that and totally and and it's very easy and it's considered appropriate to just be like i don't agree with you some people that are really nasty kind of you know, share maybe some of the same ideas as you. So like you're basically the worst kind of person that I can think of. So really me engaging with you would be evil. And it's almost like a, a cope or an excuse. Like, oh, actually, you're such a bad person that I don't like I can't engage with you. Right. Because like it's right. dirty, like you're dirty. Right. I can't engage with that idea. Yeah. Because it'll taint me. Right. And so that's a, that's a great excuse to be like, no, thank you. Well, that's that intolerance, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's very interesting. But uh, real quick, I want to talk about my, my uh, uh, not my story, story I heard on a podcast the other night. I can't remember the guy's name. Really, really great podcast. Uh, we'll link to it. 
We will link to it. It was. I th- it's in my. It's going to be in my Highline bio. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, why are we talking about rabbits? I believe uh, they were interviewing this. It's called Why are we talking about? Why rabbits? are we talking about rabbits? Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> interviewing this guy. Uh, uh, writer. I don't. I don't know exactly what he does, but a writer and and uh, he's got a family. But they ended up just diverging into talking about uh, journaling and controlling emotions. The podcast might have been called like What Are Emotions or something like that, but. He was talking about how his son had a friend over for like a pool party, pool party. They were playing and it was, you know, they have a pool, so they're swimming. <laughs> and his son, he said, was being a jerk, right? Six, I think he's six. Six-year-olds or seven-year-olds can be jerks, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it's kind of the default, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> and his friend, which honestly, pretty good uh, emotional intelligence on his friend's part, was like, hey, you're not being nice. I think I'm just going to go home. Oh, good for that kid. Right? So yeah. he left and he said that his son was really upset that his friend left, right? He's like, I really wanted to play with him. Like, and now he was angry and he was trying to process his emotions. And, you know, you can punish a kid horribly for that kind of stuff. And my whole thought on discipline and things like that is there's a lot of good data out there. There's a lot of great people to, to um, imitate and things like that. If I ever have kids, there's a lot of wisdom to take. But, you know, his approach was really interesting. He's like, hey, you're being a jerk, right? So I need you to like spend, I think he said an hour. He said, I want you to go in your room for an hour and uh, I want you to journal about what just happened. And kids write at six? Yeah, I think so, seven. I don't know enough about kids. Maybe he was eight, I don't know. No, he yeah, was writing, fine. right? You can probably write. Yeah, you probably write. You can write maybe like after 30 minutes or something, he went into his room and then helped him work through the journal log that he wrote mm. and was like, broke it down. Cause like he wrote, you know, he's six. He's like, I'm angry at my friend because he was angry at me or, you know, something like yeah. that. Pretty, pretty basic, right? He's six or whatever. And he's like, okay, well, why are you angry at him? Oh, well, cause he was angry at me. He's like, okay, now here's the important question. Why was your friend angry at you? He's like, well, I was being annoying or whatever, right? He can process that. He knows what he was doing. Yeah. Okay. Why were you doing that? Yada, yada, yada. Like, do you think it was wrong for your friend to react that way? Well, no, 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 no. Okay. Do you want your friend to come and play? Yeah. Well, then how are you going to address this? Okay. And helped him work through what emotion he was feeling. Anger. Right. And then it was like, you know, rudeness or whatever, you know, or behavior and helped him work through the whole process, which, you know, it seems dumb. But, like, there's adults that aren't capable of this. Oh, my gosh, no. Yeah. Totally. That's, like, a blueprint we could all probably And I use. could probably, I probably sometimes should get a piece of paper and be like, Stephen Mad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Why, Why Stephen Mad? Uh, roommate mean. <laughs> okay, you know, roommate told me to vacuum. Okay. Stephen tired. <laughs> be like, but Steven made mess and needed to clean up and roommate had every right in the world to tell me and then yeah. like work through that and be like, oh yeah, I'm the one that's the problem. Right. <laughs> and mm, I have a feeling, especially in my life, like nine times out of 10, like if you're upset at someone and like, it might be your fault. You might be the problem, not the other Sometimes thing. Sometimes you have to figure out what is the common denominator. Right. Right. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. You good? You need something? <laughs> I wanted to share what I was looking for my phone. I wanted to share what um Henning included yes. oh, in his right. message because he couldn't join us, but he shared some thoughts. We shared part of them. Don't be a B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. Right. And then he also sent us something by how do you pronounce this name? Byron Katie? Byron Ketty? Let's get it right. Byron Ketty. Byron Katie. Byron Katie. Okay. It's called The Work. And from what I can tell, it's four questions that you should ask yourself when a thought, I would imagine when like a perplexing or disturbing or confusing thought comes right, to you. Right. Okay. And so it's sort of a four-step process. So the first question is to ask yourself about this thought that has entered your mind. Is it true? Mm-hmm. Can I absolutely know it's true is question two. Question three, how do I react 
What happens when I believe that thought? Question four. Question three is really two questions in one, but there's right. a comma, so it's one question. Okay. Question four. Cheating, but I get it. <laughs> Why would I be, who, excuse me, who would I be without that thought? I think that could be a good little blueprint. I think so. Right? Especially question four. Yeah, that's the powerful one. Because I think, uh, you yeah. know, I could say something, you know, I could be listening to the Young Turks. I'll put myself on blast. They say something and I'd be like, eh, a bunch of commies. <laughs> And be like, well, do I know if they're communists? Okay, yeah, I know they're communists. How do I react? Okay, well, I know I don't like commies. They've killed like 120 million people. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work on, you know, blah, 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 blah. But then I can be like, who would I be without that thought? Fucking I would, communists. No, <laughs> well, kidding. yeah. No, I would be not worked up. I'd be a better person. Right, right, right. I would right. be like... What Anna and Chank think, like, at some level, do not matter. And who, if who I the, who the fuck are Anna and Chank? The Young Turk people. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. And I can get worked up about that. Yeah. And if I get worked up about that, I might end up taking that out on someone that doesn't deserve it. Right. So, I am not the better person for having that thought. And I think that's why question four is important. Because even if the answer is like, yes, it's true. Yes, I know it's true. Like that fourth question is the important one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who am I or how would I be if I don't have that thought? Yeah. Cause I suppose there could be circumstances where it's an important thought. And if you don't have that thought, yeah. like you are failing in some way. Right. Right. But if you, if the answer to that question is I'm more at peace, I'm happier and the people around me are better yeah. off then fucking let that thought and you know, lead away. Yeah, and in in the current political uh, sphere, I think the common uh, approach here is like this person believes this. Definitely, they believe that, right? Question two is like, yeah, yeah. I feel like question one and two are like a given yes most of the time. Probably, yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you know, you jump to conclusions three. Um, you know, you can work through, but that fourth one, like, if you think someone is um, ignorant or if you think someone's uh, intolerant or like all of these things the second you don't have that thought you're not living up to probably what you are perceiving of that person because a lot of times how you perceive people you end up kind of imitating the negative that you're you're projecting if you think someone's intolerant and you're going to lash out on them and tell them you're being intolerant <laughs> but if you can let that yeah. go and that's you're not that's not who you, you know you drop that thought who are you after that now you're a tolerant person. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. So something to think about. My sister always used to frame things this way because she's a mother and that's um, her shout out to calling in life. Bless yeah. her heart. Totally. My sister's amazing. You've met my sister. I have. Yeah. She's great. She's a wonderful woman. Talk about somebody who's like anti-fragile and like has faced adversity and is stronger because of it. That's my sister, but she, because she was a mother and that's sort of her calling, she kind of would f always frame things this way, but sometimes she would just remind me if I was upset about something like that's somebody's child, you know? And I think for me, it just kind of placed everybody and reminded me that we're all human, right? We're mm -hmm. all part of the same humanity. And well, there's a lot more commonality than we think. And Definitely. people, I think, personally, because they're, you know, a human being, like, they deserve respect. Some people are monsters. Right. <laughs> you know, this is something, but this is this is one of the- Even those people are somebody's baby, right? Something went wrong along the line. It's yeah, true. So, And, you know, for a long time, I think I tweeted about this too, for a long time I always thought that respect is something that you earn. Um, and my, my opinion is, is really changing on that. Um, and I believe this was one of the questions of the lightometer that we talked about during the enlightenment. Oh episode. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, do you think on a scale of one to three or whatever, uh, respect is something that you owe others, not something. Respect is something owed to others, not earned. Mm -hmm. And my perspective has shifted more that way. 
You think it's something that is owed? I think it's owed freely to people. Hmm. I think you can, you can, I think respect is the default and you can lose certain amounts of respect or maybe privilege is associated with respect, but the default has to be respect. Uh, whereas before it was like, you know, oh, I don't really have to give respect to anyone until they earn it. And, and like practically speaking, what does that look like? I don't, I don't know. Right. It makes like, me a bad you're person. You're terrible to people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which exactly. is hard to live out. I mean, I think there's different degrees of respect, right. right? Like I might extend basic respect to a stranger because they're a fellow human being. Right. Right. And I don't know anything about them. I've, you know, just come across them. Right. And I might get to know them. And realize that they have a lot of admirable qualities and I, there's a lot I can learn from them and mm-hmm. my respect for them will grow. Right. And yeah. that will change how I interact with them. Um, and you can also lose respect for people, of course. But I, I agree. I think that there's some level sort of baseline respect that all living creatures deserve. Yeah. yeah. Real quick. I want to end with even non-living things. <laughs> yeah. Because they're created by living things. Anyway. Uh, this just made me think about just being anti-fragile, facing adversity, living through it. I mean, offering respect or giving respect freely. I mean, part of that is just giving people the time of day. Um, even if you think that you've pegged who they are, or what they believe, or who they are. And so this is an assignment for anyone that's not familiar of, with uh, a man named Daryl Davis. I think that's his name. I will double check. But. He is an incredible, incredible man. And talk about being anti-fragile. He's a, he's a black man in the United States who pretty much single-handedly has converted 200 members of the Ku Klux Klan by reaching out to members of the KKK wow. and befriending them and talking with them and engaging with them and playing. He's a great musician, playing music for them and teaching them about things. You know, uh, one of the stories is that he met this guy who was like a high-ranking person in in the KKK, hmm. and they were listening to music, and he's like, "Oh, I love this." And he's like, "Well, did you know that like this kind of music is rooted in like the history of Black America?" He's like, "No, no, that's not true." And so Daryl went through and like introduced him to all these amazing, you know, soul and blues musicians that were African American, and then went through the whole history, and he's like, "Whoa, this is." This is incredible. And just like, you know, changes people's hearts. And that's like an extreme example. But people, you know, if Daryl Davis can bridge that gap in the most like I can't think of a more extreme dichotomy of like good and evil of like a man trying to live his life and someone that's opposed to him in every sense. Right. Like Daryl Davis is a saint. Yeah. And like we can't do that with someone who voted for Biden versus Trump or right like that's inspirational and it's proof it's it's proof that those boundaries can't be overtaken 200 members that's a lot renounced it left because of him yeah that's that's beautiful that's huge impact like this can happen you know your friends your family strangers it's cool and that takes a level of like respect and tolerance and patience, mm-hmm. right? And, and anti fragility and, and gratitude. Yeah, and anti- I can only anti fragility. Can you? I can't imagine the hell that he was through, that he went through engaging with these people. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Disrespect, Bra- insult, worse. A brave man. Violence, probably. Yeah. But like, man, tough man. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So you know. And that's where gratitude comes comes in as well. Like, wow, we've, you know, most people have it really good. That's not something you have to worry about. Like, for a lot of people, right. you know, you're not engaging with those kind of people. Like, you're engaging with your coworker who, like, votes the opposite party of you. <laughs> right. Right. Wow, that's a pretty easy bridge the gap compared to what some people have to go through. Yeah. And so. For sure. You know, give it a try. Totally. Do we have anything else to add? I think that was a good ending. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Always a pleasure. Always. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, 
please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Dixie Lee Henning, and this is Author's Intent. You know how you have friends, and sometimes those friends are like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then you're like, well, I I think the book's better. And then you guys get into an argument, and then you stop being friends because of their totally wrong opinions. Well, I liked that feeling so much that I decided to make a podcast about it. So I put in the work, I read the books, I watch the movies, and I tell you the differences between the two and... You know, you can still be friends with that with that friend who thinks that the Hobbit movies are good. They're not. They're not good. But you can stay friends. I'm essentially a mediator in the friend space, you know? I'm here so that you can stay friends with those people, despite their horrible opinions about books and movies. So, you're welcome. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.